Well, let me invite you to turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We are uh, in a series uh, where we are, as we're going through John chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, we're going to look at. Um, we are in a, a series right now where we are t- uh, thinking through the, this idea of miraculous. And the series is about uh, the book of John has the, uh, seven miracles uh, that John uses to tell about the story of Jesus. And so uh, there are 34 different miracles in the four gospel accounts. Uh, uh, John tells seven. Four of them are unique to his writing. So he tells four stories that the other writers don't. And so we want to look at those unique stories during this month and try to see something about it. But uh, John is doing something interesting. He's writing at a much later time. It's about 60 years after his time with Jesus. He's had a lot of time to think and kind of uh, consider what it, it meant to walk with Jesus and, and to lead as he's a leader in the church. But as he's doing this, he's, he's going to try to help us do something, to see miracles, but also to see something bigger about the miracles. His goal is, and he doesn't even hide it, he gets to the end of the book and he says, look, I have written all these things for a purpose. I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the Savior that has come into the world. He has a purpose. And so as we look at these miracles, we, we want to look at them and, and see. I mean, they're, they're amazing stories, but we want to enter into these stories uh, with our own life as well. And, then, and today's story, it's, it's fascinating as we start to see Jesus and his kingdom being revealed. Uh, we meet a man who's been stuck in his situation for almost 40 years. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you got stuck, maybe physically or mentally or emotionally, but getting stuck is one of those things that, uh, that creates a lot of anxiety, doesn't it? Uh, I was, uh, when I first started here, I was, I was the Justin. I was the youth pastor. I was in charge of our youth. And we used to, uh, my very first summer, we did a, tr- a trip called Rock and Water where we, we went rock climbing and river rafting. And so on this uh, couple-day trip, one of the experiences was they took us. There was about 20 students. Um, they took us to this place where we, we climbed all these rocks, and then they wanted us to do this, like, cave exploring. And so it was kind of fun, but it, was, uh, it had, it had our, our own kind of version of Indiana Jones to it. It was dark and damp, and you'd see the, the cobwebs in the corner, and you'd get in these tight spaces. There's no arrows flying through or anything, but your imagination could kind of run. But you get in these spots where you could kind of just only, you have to turn or climb or crawl. And so with the darkness and the dampness and the spiders, your imagination would kind of go someplace. You get a little, little freaked out, but it was fun and exciting. So it's the leader, it's me, it's 20 kids, and then a couple other leaders. And so we're, we're maneuvering through all these tight spaces, and we get to this one spot, and he goes, okay, here's our last thing we're going to do. We, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to dive into this little pool that we see here. There was just like this small little pool. Like it was just big enough for your body to kind of fit in. He goes, I'm going to dive in. And then you go under, and then you need to feel the log. And you need to move your way under the log, and you'll come up on the other side. And I promise you, when you come up on the other side, it will be absolutely worth it. You're going to see stuff that is absolutely breathtaking. Whoop, he goes down, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa hey, he like, come back. Like, and so, so now I'm stuck. I'm stuck between drowning or being humiliated by my students. They're all like, you're like, do it. Yeah, you know, and I'm like, I, I, so I pick drowning. So I, I dive in. I dive in having no idea where I'm headed. I, I find the log. I, I kind of do this. I have, it's, it's completely uh, black. I kind of see this light. I kind of come up the other side, come up out of the water, and he is right. It is absolutely breathtaking. 
the, the sun is kind of coming through. It's this crystal blue water, all these cave formations, and three hippies skinny dipping. Uh, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, I, I, and, of course, now what's going to happen? Bloop, bloop, bloop. 20 kids, one by one, coming up. And I'm like, no, no. And I'm trying to, like, stuff them back under. And, I, I mean, I, just, I, I promise you, if you thought, oh, man, I wish we could do a trip like that. It, it, Every high school boy who thought what it would be like to see a naked woman, that was not what they envisioned. It was like the, the worst possible experience. Like, your youth pastor's right next to you, and you're just like, I don't know where to look. Like, it was, we were trapped. We were stuck because we couldn't do anything until they all got through, and then we all quickly. And, and of course, you know, this, this one guy, he's just like all free, naked around, going around. He's like, you guys have got to dive under and see it all. And we're just like, no, <laughs> get us out of here. So we were, we kind of one by one finally got out of there. But being stuck, I don't know what was worse, being stuck in a dark spider infested cave or being trapped in that pool of water. Uh, but being stuck is never fun. So here's what I want us to do. As I said, being stuck is not fun. I, I, but I think it would be helpful to do this. I need you to try to put yourself in a position right now that's going to be a little uncomfortable. So what I want you to do is, is this. I want you to try to identify in your mind what it is that you are going through right now that you are having a difficult time with. It, it could be uh, something physical. It could be something uh, work-related. It could be family. What's weighing you down? What's stressing you out? What, what's going on in your life that you wish would be different, better? Where do you feel stuck right now? Where do you feel stuck? And I want you to try to bring that to mind. And I know that might make you a little uncomfortable, but I think it will be helpful as we journey into this passage, because what happens in this passage today is Jesus finds a man who is stuck and he, he enters into his life and he enters into his pain and he does something that if we will watch what he's doing, I think in some ways you and I can experience the same kind of miraculous power that this man experienced as well. And so let me give you a big idea that I want you to see unfolds as we look at this passage. If you're taking notes, I don't know if you grabbed a life journal on your way in or you got it last week, but if not, grab one on your way out. You want to take notes here with us. We've got uh, spaces for sermon notes and your uh, soap devotional and all the things that it'll explain it all in there. Grab one on your way out. But uh, uh, I want us uh, to be confronted by this question, do you want to get well, that we see. He's going to ask, do you want to get well? And if we want to get well, here's our big idea. To get unstuck, we need to respond to Jesus with faith. To get unstuck, we need to respond to Jesus with faith. Wherever you feel stuck, you need to let Jesus meet you there today. You need to listen to what he says and as you see from the passage today, you're going to have to be willing to let him. If you want to experience the miraculous, you're going to have to let him ask you to do things. And they may seem impossible. But I want to invite you to, to start to consider this. Because if we want to become unstuck, we need to respond to him with faith. And so let's begin to look at this miracle. Again, let's look at it and let's look through it. And let's see what it is uh, as we enter into this story. Let's enter into this story and let's let this story and our story intersect. Verse 1 says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. 
Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, at which, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now let's stop there for a second because John is painting a picture that I want to help you paint in your own mind. Verse 1 says that Jesus has gone to Jerusalem to be part of a festival. There were three main festivals that, that you would celebrate. Uh, the Jews were obligated to go to Jerusalem for. Uh, the, there was Pentecost, there was Passover, and there was Tabernacles. Uh, and we see in Jesus' life and ministry that he was very good about attending all those. We don't know which one this is. Uh, a lot of scholars think that this was probably Pentecost. But however it was, Jesus is there. There's a lot of festivities. But you, you've got to kind of see what key to this story are the, is this pool called Bethesda. Uh, the word Bethesda means house of mercy. And so let me give you a picture of what it would look like. So um, if you look at this kind of uh, uh, diagram of Jerusalem at that time, you see the wall going around the city on the outside, and you can see where it says North Temple Wall. So there's the temple. That's where people are gathered to do the celebration. And outside the, the temple, near this wall, near this gate, are the, is this pool. And you can see um, it's kind of a large structure. There's this, there are these shade coverings. And notice what John has said. He says that there is a great number of people that are gathered at this place. Not 5, 10, or 20, but John seems to suggest that it, it, it's a pretty sizable group. In fact, there's five different shade structures that people can come under. And so uh, we see that there's a, it's, a, it's a tremendous sight of people who are gathered, who have disabilities, who have brokenness in their life. And people would have been brought there. They would have been left there. They would have been uh, sat there. They would have experienced all kinds of, of different things uh, in this. Now, key to this is also understanding that in this first century time, there was a, a, an idea. And the idea was that if you had one of these infirmities in, in whatever way, it was somebody's fault. Either you had sinned or your parents had sinned, but someone, it was someone's fault. And as a result of that, you can see this would not have been a house of mercy. This would have been a house of shame. This would have been a place where, where people would not have felt, that people were not going there feeling compassion, feeling like they wanted to help people. People would walk by that and think, you get, you're getting what you deserve. And so it's a very desperate place that's there. And John wants us to take in all of this. And, and here's the first thing I want us to see, that as we think about what he's trying to say is that we all get stuck in life. We all get stuck in life. Those around the pool are described this way as the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. In fact, we see that this one man uh, was stuck there for, uh, uh, for a sizable time. We know that he had this infirmity for 38 years. He was without the ability to walk. But John wants us to, to not just look at it, but to also place ourselves in it. You and I find ourselves getting stuck as well. You may feel like the blind. You're dealing with a problem. You can't see your way out. It just feels like everywhere you look, it's darkness. You can't, you can't see the solution. You, you feel stuck. Or maybe you feel like the lame. When the Bible speaks of the lame, usually it's people who have experienced some kind of pain and because of that pain, they're immobilized by it. And maybe some of you feel like that today. Something has happened. Maybe you were at fault. Maybe someone else was at fault. But because of that pain and because of what has happened, you can't move. You, you are stuck. 
Or maybe you feel like those who are paralyzed, who are numb. You, you, you're busy. You are anxious. You're stressed. You're living day to day. Uh, you, you, you almost look like someone who's suffering from shock. You just, there's kind of a, like, a, like a, a, a dull glaze over you. You just don't get it. Maybe even in that, those first moments of a service, you can tell like there's something going on in here, but you can't feel it. It seems like people feel something, but you don't feel it. You feel numb. You feel nothing. You feel paralyzed. And John knows this. We all find times in our lives where we are stuck. And so he's inviting us into this story, but he wants us to encounter something beyond just being stuck. Verse 6 says this, that when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I, I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So just to understand these verses, you gotta, you gotta, if you look back at your Bible, you might have noticed that you don't have verse 4 in your Bible. Or if you do, um, it's probably some kind of footnote. But verse 4 doesn't exist. It, it was probably somewhere along the line a scribe had wrote in uh, what, what it was. So one of the things that we know about this pool was there was a tradition. There was like a superstition. These people were there under this, this false assumption that uh, an angel or something would stir the water, and whoever made it first in the water, that would be the person who was healed. Once again, not much of a house of mercy if the person with the least trouble is the one who's always getting healed. But that's the way the thinking went. And so we see in this moment that this is how this person is thinking and I want you to see how Jesus intersects in this. There's the second thing uh, that we see is that Jesus wants to set us free. Jesus wants to set us free. Now, it's interesting if we think about the shame and all the different elements of this, the religious leaders are nowhere to be found. They're nowhere near this place. In fact, they probably would rebuke a good Jew for even uh, entertaining the idea of being over in this, in this space and all the kind of the pagan worship that was going on in it. But notice who does enter into this space. It's Jesus, because Jesus enters into the spaces of our life in which we feel stuck, and Jesus enters into the space, and Jesus does what Jesus does in our lives, and you have to see this and kind of be prepared for this, that there are times where Jesus is going to ask you a very strange question. So, I mean, I think there's one story where Jesus is walking in a crowd, and he stops, and he says, who touched me? And the answer is yes, everyone. Everyone touched you. But he goes, no, no, no. Someone touched me. It, the, the power went out through me. And so we see that there are these times where Jesus asks these strange questions that everyone's like, why would you even ask that? This is one of those moments. Here's a man who's been an invalid for 38 years, and he asks him this question. Do you want to get well? He doesn't correct his theology. He doesn't preach or lecture him. But he shows him compassion, and he asks him this question. Now, you would have thought that the man would respond with an enthusiastic, yes. But look at instead what happens. The man begins to give excuses. He begins to talk about his condition and why he's stuck in this situation. And really, all he can imagine is, if I could just beat everyone else into the water, I wouldn't be in this situation. And so he continues, he's looking at this and thinking, uh, to himself, Jesus is asking, do you want to get well? And all he could imagine is, well, if you could help me, if you could kind of pick me up and throw me in or block everyone else or get me to the front of the, the line. And so when the water stirs, if you can throw me in the water, then maybe I could get out. That's the best he can come up with in this moment. 
The man was trying to get into the water. What he didn't realize was that the living water had come to him. Now, it's really important for us to think about this question because I think there's a lot of relevance in this question. You're thinking in your mind and heart about something that you feel stuck in. And Jesus says to you, well, do you want to get well? And rather than meet him with the enthusiastic, yes, Lord, we meet him with excuses as well, don't we? We say, well, my family is rather complicated. And, you know, there's a lot of background to this story. Or, uh, you know, I, I, would I like to, well, it's complicated. My, my job situation and this and that, or I, I, you know, and everything we say, my circumstances, my past, my, and we have the same kinds of excuses, don't we? Jesus says, I'm not asking about those. What I'm asking is, in this moment, do you want to get well? And our first response a lot of times is, well, yes, but, and we go into all of our excuses of why this can't happen. Sometimes we are stuck because we just don't know the right way out. For this man, one of the troubles is this. It's not just the physical paralysis, but it's the mental and spiritual paralysis as well. He can't envision a better way. He can't envision another way of getting well. And we make the same mistake as well. I'll share something with you that sounds rather simple, but I think it's rather profound. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting, right? Right? I mean, you've probably heard it in some ways, uh, you know, this, this classic definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And we know how to quote that and share that with other people. And yet, at the same time, if we're very honest, we realize we struggle with that very thing. We keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, hoping or praying that this time it will be different. This time there will be a different result. And sometimes we need someone to come along and ask the question, how's that working for you? We, we need Jesus to enter in and say, do you want to get well? If you want God to do a new thing, then you can't keep doing the same old thing. This is why I think Jesus at the very heart of his message to us is repent. He's not trying to ruin your life when he says that. He's trying to lead you in a new way. The word repentance, it just simply means an about face. It means that 180 turn. He's he's saying, look, you're going this way. How's that working for you? That's not the path to life. Repent, turn around and come with me and I will lead you into life. Abundant life, eternal life. If you keep doing what you're doing, you'll keep getting what you're getting. And if you want to experience the miraculous, You're going to have to unlearn things. But you're going to have to hold on to this, that God is able. See, here's our problem. Our problem is the best we can do is what our imagination can conceive, what we can think of. But the Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians 3. He says that God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we hope for or imagine That word immeasurably in the Greek, it's two words. It's exceedingly abundantly. Paul couldn't decide if he wanted to use exceedingly or abundantly, but when he thought of how expansive God's imagination was, really the best definition was use both words. It is exceedingly abundantly beyond anything he can do, beyond anything you hope for, anything you imagine. God can do that. 
And here's what I love about this passage, and here's what I love about Beach Point, is that when Jesus shows up, people get set free. People get set free. See, I, I love, on Monday nights, we have a program here called Celebrate Recovery. And I love this program because of the way that Jesus shows up at it and the way that people are set, being set free. One of the things I, I appreciate every time I, I get to visit and I listen to people share or lead is they begin with these words, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. You can see right from the very beginning, there's, a, there's been a shift in identity. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. He's the one who came in and changed everything for me. And they'll say, I struggle with, and they'll talk about some things that they're struggling with, whatever hurt, habit, or hangup it is. And then here's my name. But that's not how you and I talk about our stuckness, is it? We say, I'm Bill, I have all these problems, and I go to Beach Point. At CR, what we're seeing is this, that Jesus has entered in, he's flipped the script, and people are being set free. I love a program we do here called SHIP, where we work with transitioning people out of homelessness. And, and as we've done this program, what's been so fascinating is when uh, the guests come, to, they, they stay at different places along this way. But when they stay here, many of you who have worked in it, what I love about you who have worked in this is this, is that you are not looking just to provide the compassion that needs to be provided, but you realize that, that, you, that Jesus needs to enter into the equation. And we have dramatic stories that have come out of this of people who didn't just receive what they needed, the humanitarian help they needed to get through that moment, but that their world got turned right side up because Jesus entered in and and. People were set free. I think about you guys, our young people, and I, man, I, 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 I worry for you because you're in this stage of life where you're trapped by insecurity, the pressure of drugs, and all these other things to cope with that pressure. The, uh, uh, whatever you would seek, relationships or anything else to deal with your stuckness. But then I think of some of the, young, uh, the people that are working with you guys. I, I think of Ryan. Uh, you know, Ryan was someone who came to us when she was in middle school. Her family stuck. Divorce, verbal abuse, addiction, painful would be the simplest way to describe it for, for her. Uh, but when Ryan started coming, and kind of coming as maybe some of you have experienced too, you kind of come and don't come. She had two youth leaders, Amy and Aaron, who basically said, no, you're coming. And they stayed persistent with her. And that's why your leaders stay persistent with you because they're not going to give up on you. They're not going to allow you to stay stuck. But as Ryan began to come, she was, uh, she was able to come to a camp. And in that camp, she was able to hear Psalm 23 in uh, these words that, that the Lord is our shepherd, that he walks through the darkest valleys with us. And if you're going through the stuckness of, of divorce and abuse and addiction and all those things, you need to hear the comfort of the Spirit of God will not leave you alone, that Jesus will enter into that with you. And she said that was the first time that she began to really experience the presence and power of Jesus entering and rushing into her life. But God was so gracious because what he began to do in her through leaders and then through a mentor in her life named Jenna was provide someone that would listen and cry and walk through her doubts, who would pray for her, and continue to work. And so Jesus kept entering in, but what Jesus was doing is he was entering in through a mentor. And this is why we stress this so much here. So much so that it put Ryan then in a position where she began to experience not only Jesus working in her and Jesus rushing into her life, 
But that's why she became a leader. And now Jesus, she realized that Jesus wanted to work through her life. I can't wait for some of you to become uh, youth leaders and do the same thing. Where everything that God has been doing in your life and the way that you allow Jesus to rush in your life, now you get to be on the other side. You get to have your freshman girls or sixth grade girls or fifth grade or boys or whatever it is. And you get to let the, Jesus rush into their life in the same way that he rushed in. And Ryan began to listen to her girls. Ryan is the, the girl there, obviously, with the sunglasses. Uh, uh, Ryan uh, is someone who, as she began to listen to those girls and the, the hurt and the challenges that she had in her life or in their life, she could say, I get it. I've been there. I know what that feels like. And she could have empathy, but she also knew then how to allow Jesus to rush into those situations and be a mentor to them. See, one of the things that I saw, I mean, it was so cool. On Wednesday night, what I loved, God is moving with our young people right now in such a powerful way. If you want to sense it in some way, come on Wednesday night and just kind of take it in. I was here on Wednesday. You know, our high school group has grown to the point that it can't meet in the youth building anymore. It's, it's had to move into here. Our middle school's grown out of the upstairs. They're, they moved into the youth building. Our kids are in every nook and cranny on this campus. And, and I'm walking through, kind of taking it all in and watching. And what I loved was this that there's no watering down. It's not just like fun games, like bait and switch, come to church and we'll pretend that something's happening. No, these guys are serious about Jesus entering in. The, the secret sauce to what's happening on Wednesday night is Jesus is entering in. And he is doing something powerful in our young people. And I think for all of us who aren't young, uh, that's exciting because you and I feel that the rush of that as well. We want to get caught up in it as well. But watch what Jesus happens when you allow Jesus to enter in. Uh, verse 8, it says this, that then Jesus said to them, get, he said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath and so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. And so they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, pick up your mat and walk? And the man who had, was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Here's the last thing I want you to write down today, just the last point. I think that's, that's such a great observation that to get unstuck, Jesus might ask you to do the impossible. To get unstuck, Jesus might ask you to do the impossible. And Jesus has done something very interesting. Think about this. He's asked what seems to be a very insensitive question. He's asked a, a man who's been sick for almost 40 years, do you want to get well? Well, he's now one-upped himself because now he's just asked a crippled man to do what is impossible for a crippled person to do. Stand up. He asks him to do the impossible. Do not be surprised when Jesus asks you to do the impossible. Why? Because the Bible is filled with stories of, of God asking us to trust him, to do the impossible. In fact, think about this. So Mary, Mary is being asked, uh, uh, you know, to be a part of this equation of bringing Jesus into the world. And she's going, I know I'm young, but I know enough of how this works. And that's not possible. 
And the angel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. Now, when we see words like this in the Bible, we should pay attention. But when God says it twice, we should press in. Later in Jesus' ministry, he's explaining how salvation, people come to salvation. They're saying, man, it's so hard. And he says these words, with God, all things are possible. God's got this one. And God won't answer 100% of the prayers you don't pray. If you assume the answer is no, then you don't even give God a chance to say yes. I was a college student here. I was working in The Rock as an intern, and I was going to school at Biola. And as I was driving home one night, uh, I was parked at a light, and a drunk driver hit my car at 50 miles an hour, knocked me into the intersection. Boom, I got hit by a, a second car. By the grace of God, I survived it. But I, I had a lot of pain and a lot of recovery to kind of work through. I had a, a significant injury to my hip, and it took a, a months to kind of recover from it. Um, but I'd also committed to go on a mission trip and spend the summer in Zimbabwe in Africa. And so imagine having this, like, intense pain. It's, you have trouble sitting, and you have to be on a plane for 17 hours. I was, I was in so much pain. I was, like, in tears. I was, I, it was just it was killing and so I got there, we, got, uh, uh, we did some activities in the first couple days, and I was in intense pain. But my solution to the pain was this. My solution to the stuckness was this. Suck it up, buttercup. Man up, okay? Deal with the pain. That's what men do. You, 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 you just deal with pain, and that's just, how, that's just the lot in life you've been given. My team thought differently. My team said, you seem like you're in a lot of pain. Um, can we pray for you? And my, you know, great missionary spirit, I guess so. I mean, it couldn't hurt. And so they lay hands on me and they pray, much like we'll do on, at the end of other services here if you want us to come and pray for you. And they asked, they said, Lord, we don't know what you want to do, but if you want to heal Bill, I, I, we think this would be a blessing to him. And they prayed for that healing. It was a couple days later and one of my team members came to me and said, hey, how's your hip feeling? I hadn't even noticed, but the pain was gone. Like I, I, had, I was sleeping through the night. I was like, wow, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Like that was an unexpected gift, but it was a simple little gift, a simple reminder, Bill, if I can take care of this small thing, I can help you through all the bigger things that we're about to experience in these next eight weeks. And it was the roughest summer of my young life to that point, I had to learn to trust God in some amazing ways, but God gave me that little glimpse. You can trust me. You can trust me. See, I think in these moments when God asks the impossible of us, what he's asking ultimately is, do you trust me? Will you trust me? Think of something like, like um, Justin talked about our offering and giving to God. Um, Kim and I, when we were newly married, we wanted to practice this biblical practice of tithing. Tithing is giving uh, the first 10% of what you have to, to God, give it to the church for the blessing, for the work of ministry. And Kim and I did not make a, a very much money. And so the idea of giving away 10% was like, it, it's impossible. There's no way we will make it that way. But what the, the principle of tithing is simply this, that 90% plus God is greater than 100% of me. And so Kim and I made a commitment to that. And apart from making that commitment to trust God in that way, we never would have experienced the promise and the blessings that come from this. 2 Corinthians 9 says this, God is able to bless you abundantly 
so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That promise is attached to giving generously. And we never would have experienced all the things we've experienced in the 25 years since if we weren't willing to, to walk into that, uh, that impossible thing that we thought he was asking of us. And so every year we ask, Lord, is there a way that we can give away more, more, because we want to trust you more and more, and we want you to use what we have for your kingdom. Think about this. This miracle takes place on the Sabbath. The idea of Sabbath is this, that you'd work for six days, and then on, that, on the seventh day you would rest. And the idea is this, that God, uh, God wants you to trust him. He's, he wants you to know, hey, look, I am always working, so stop and trust me. Take a day to, to rest and breathe. You need it. And the principle is this, that six days plus God is greater than 100% of you. Remember his provision. Remember his protection. Now, it's so interesting to me because I think of it this way. I could break nine of the Ten Commandments and be fired. But if I broke this commandment, I might get a raise, a promotion, uh, kudos. People would talk about how hard I work, how great I'm working that's part of our stuckness, right, in our culture is that we think we got to work harder. You got to press harder. You got to do more. And God's saying, no, you, won't, you won't accomplish more. Take a break. And so our staff takes Fridays off, unless it's an emergency or camp. Uh, but we, we take Fridays off. We shut down because the belief is that six days plus God is greater than seven days of our striving. When he asks you to do what seems to be impossible, he's simply saying, do you trust me? Will you trust me? See, there's a promise in scripture that if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it generously to you without finding fault. He won't blame you. He won't hold it against you. But he says, when when I give you the wisdom, you have to have faith and you have to trust because if not, you're like a wave that, bounces back and forth. So don't be surprised when he asks of you to, to do something that requires faith because it, it feels and sounds impossible. Max Lucado writes this. He says, when he says we're forgiven, let's unload the guilt. When he says we're valuable, let's believe him. When he says we're eternal, let's bury our fear. And when he says we're provided for, let's stop worrying. And when he says stand up, Let's do it. We don't look for God in the miraculous because we don't look for God in the impossible. We just think it can't happen, it won't happen, and so we don't even ask. But when we begin to ask and when we allow him to rush in, then we have to be prepared for him to invite us to the impossible. So here's where we began. Here's your response. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus asked this question to the man who had maybe given up hope after 38 years. And maybe you've been stuck long enough that when you hear these words, you think, I don't want to be disappointed one more time. This man had sat in this disappointment for a very, very long time. But what we see is this, is that belief began with a single step, even though it sounded impossible what would that first step be for you? The first step for this man was get up. What does get up look like for you? Is it starting something today? Is it ending something today? 
Is it showing up on Monday to CR? Is it, is it uh, meeting with someone that you need to meet with? What impossible thing might Jesus be asking of you? If you want to stay stuck, keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to get well, let Jesus enter in. Let him speak words of life to you. Take that first step of faith, then another, then another. Do you see how he found the man? He went looking for him, and he encouraged him. Keep, keep walking now. Keep walking. I want us to pray. I want you to offer to the Lord what you, where you feel stuck. Let me end this way. Um, I would say for, for me, and what I think what we're seeing here at Beach Point, in fact, you're going to see a great story here in just a minute. We're going to do a baptism in just a few minutes. But if you want to see the thing that is setting people free here is Jesus. It's not our fancy programs or our rich traditions or any of those things. It is Jesus. And if you have not decided to follow Jesus, what, uh, what got me unstuck was that chorus that we sang, I decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I was 15 years old. I'm not going to go back. If you want to get unstuck, then hear him call to you today. Follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. The band's going to lead you in some songs that will help you think and kind of pray through uh, this in a deeper way. But I just want to say this. If you have never decided or you're not sure if you're really a follower of Jesus, but this morning you realize, I don't want to be stuck any longer and you want to follow Jesus, then I want to just give you a quiet moment right now. Just tell him, Jesus, I want to become your follower. I will follow you, no turning back. Please forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. Fill me with your life, your presence, your spirit. Show me how to walk with you. And friends, he will hear that prayer. And so let's take a moment. Let's think about where we're stuck. Let's listen for maybe the impossible thing he's asking of us and let's figure out how to, how to respond in faith.